standard issue for all women. Hello, Mickey here, welcoming you to this week's Sunday Chops. Welcome. You know, we love a natter on standard issue, and that is exactly what I had with the human joy that is actor Pandora Colin. Yeah, we chopped about a whole range of stuff. From the continued dearth of decent, and that is the key word, roles for women over 35, and why maybe we're not grateful just to be thrown a few crumbs, to food and music and why they go so beautifully together. Also, I find out what David Bowie, Joy Division and a Russian disaster have in common. I am, of course, talking Chernobyl there, and Pandora played Dr. Vitrova in 2019's incredible miniseries. So she tells me what it's like being in Landmark Telly and what it's like working with terrifying pathetics. And, of course, we chat about the play that Pandora is currently in, which is Bark and Sons at the Bridge Theatre in London, where she stars alongside Simon Russell Beale. It runs until September the 11th, and you can look for tickets at bridgetheatre.co.uk. Also, she tests me on women pirates, and I'm embarrassed to admit I am found wanting, listener, very wanting. Don't be a me. Listen to and remember what Pandora says about the awesome Grace O'Malley. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I am joined on the Zoom by actor Pandora Colin, a face that, I mean, if you could see it, you may very well recognise from stage and screen and who is currently starring as Maria Barbara Back in Back and Sons at London's Bridge Theatre. Pandora, hello. Hello. I'm going to guess it's been a pretty rough year work-wise, so let's start with a positive. At least, I hope it's a positive. How does it feel to be back on stage? Oh, just brilliant. What I missed the most, I mean, apart from obviously my craft um, but what I mean is the community I know people think that we are all a bunch of kind of silly billies who dress up in frocks and shout but it is a really supportive and sort of creative environment to be in and, and we are a real community and that's what I've missed so much of like being in the gang and being able to be part of a collective endeavour you know we've all been on our own haven't we So so being away from that aspect of making something as a team I've really missed so it's been really lovely being back in a room with a group of people and making something. So we're chatting on July the 20th which means pandemic restrictions in England I refuse to call it Freedom Day happened yesterday. Pandora's shaking her head. (laughs) Don't get me started. Love to get you started but how do you think that will affect audiences? I think Freedom Day might mess us up quite a lot because you know (laughs) it's whizzing through us it's quite clearly the government has decided that herd immunity is the way although that is not the official line but like that's obviously when I saw what was happening on Euro finals day I was like okay this is the plan everyone who hasn't got it has to get it and even those who have had it and even those who have been double vaxxed it's on so it's pretty painful to then watch what's been going on over the last couple of weeks which is like shows having to stop either completely cancel which has happened to a a show over at the Riverside Studios they've just had to cancel the whole run or our show's been off for 10 days I know another couple of shows that are having uh hiatuses hiatus (laughs) I don't know breaks yeah there are a few shows having breaks and I imagine that that is how the summer is going to proceed as well yeah and I guess it's frustrating to have that stop start as well 
Yeah, especially after so long, we just want to crack on and do it. And we've had such lovely audiences. We we were on for three weeks and we had really great audiences and people were so pleased to be back in the theatre that they're really sort of moved by that experience of being in, in a theatre, never mind the content of the show. So it's such a, a shame to sort of, yeah, as you say, the stop and starting. It's kind of like, come on, let's just let us get on with it. And obviously safely, but then people are allowed to like you know gather in great great gangs in central london and we all over the theaters which really depressed i got stuck in leicester square with my daughter on euro final day because i thought at midday taking her to see cruella in leicester square would be fine little did i know that there were already like two thousand people weeing everywhere oh. and screaming and we couldn't get out of the cinema in the end we couldn't get out we had to go out by the bins pandora i think you mean men weeing everywhere i didn't see so many ladies yeah. during the week <laughs> it was so depressing and obviously <laughs> the lovey in me was like don't piss on the wind of the theater <laughs> <laughs> you've got two kids and a pretty famous partner very famous partner the past year of lockdowns restrictions homeschooling and theatres having to go dark what's that meant for you how's that been well it became clear as the sort of first lockdown progressed that two things were happening in in our world one was that there was that sort of great leveling at the beginning where it's like okay suddenly it's not just some of us who are unemployed, it's everybody. None of us are working this week, say, is, you know, the feeling. And it was sort of quite liberating and quite relaxing. I know nothing else was relaxing, but there was this kind of like, okay, uh, there's no pressure for me to feel like I have to get a job right now because there are no jobs right now. We hope that would kind of be a reset and make for slightly more interesting sort of dynamics, creative dynamics in the future when things came back together. But what also happened simultaneously is it seemed quite clear that, in fact, what was happening was people, producers in theatre and film and television were so fearful of what was happening that they kind of defaulted back to something that they Mm -hmm. knew. So suddenly my partner was being offered a lot of work. I mean, he he works a lot anyway, but like more work than he'd ever been offered before obviously at the start they were kind of like two-handers and stuff and everyone making it was white everyone making the stuff as a man usually middle-aged or older all the gatekeepers were like getting together to make basically the good life nothing against the good life but (laughs) time and a place and this is no longer it Uh so so my partner went back to work in September and he's been working solidly since and this is across the well, <laughs> across the world probably, but certainly in our industry, the men went back to work a lot sooner than the women. Yep. There were a lot more opportunities for guys. The one-man, two-man, three-man shows, sometimes you'd get three men and a little lady. But it was <laughs> still just, the, just people defaulting, subconsciously, I'm sure, but Are just you... going back. Well, I mean, I'm sure they weren't thinking we don't want women in this, but they were just going, oh, I like that play. And they're like, yeah, because... Yeah, a man and you're a producer and you're a director and that play was written by a man and it's got three men in it and 
yeah, and it was just jaw dropping to watch how like no one was checking themselves. They were like, well, but this is cheap and we can put some famous people in it. Go. That was quite demoralizing as that sort of unfolded um, while all the little ladies stayed at home and looked after their families. There's not necessarily a brilliant amount of checks in place for the bigger theatres before all of this happened, what was it, two, three years ago, the National managed to programme a whole season with nothing written by a woman, and you're like, you are the fucking National Theatre, what are you playing at? Yeah, I mean, that was a funny one. That was a funny one in that I think the defence on that was, if you looked at the scheduling for the whole year, there was a kind of good chunk of things written by women, but they release it in sort of seasons, and one season didn't have that, but they felt that they had made up for it in other seasons. Personally, I uh, look at theatres and I still see a lot of all-male productions. This is pre-pandemic being programmed. Like I live in southeast London and quite often I cycle past the National, the Old Vic, the Young Vic. It's just uh, lots of shows about men in crisis there are always these sort of meetings where people they 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 sort of get a diversity coordinator on board or whatever they call it and they give it a funny name it's just like literally this is the maths if you put on an all-male show then simultaneously program an all-female show right and then in between everything's up for grabs but i just kept seeing this happening like again and again the lyric Hammersmith did a play about fatherhood okay great but they weren't also simultaneously doing something about whatever something about women it doesn't have to be motherhood in fact please can it be something else <laughs> and that happens quite a lot and you look at shows like Follies and Our Ladies of Perpetual Sucker at the National or Escaped Alone which was a Carol Churchill play that was on at the Royal Court a few years ago these sort of female-led or all-female Costs if they're good, which those all were amazing, they just sell out their hits. They hits, they go into the West End, they come back, they go abroad because the majority of the people who buy tickets are women. Exactly that. You know, that's great if you want to go and see X person from Game of Thrones in the West End in a show, fine. But there's kind of regular theatre goers, the majority of people that are buying the tickets are women. And so, please, can we see a bit more of ourselves up there? And it's not a good argument to say things like, we're doing Hedda Gabler or we're doing one of... You're like, okay, that's great. It's written by a man, and it's about one woman, and there's, like, I think two other women in it, maybe a maid as well. There's usually one. But it's sort (laughs) of like, it's all very much written from a male perspective. And, you know, I'm forever on a mission to to get more female playwrights um, having their shows on more period plays by women because they hardly ever happen and people are like well what are they I'm just like just do your homework the, um, there's a great book oh I got it yeah somewhere by a um, woman who runs this sort of campaigning group called Tonic Theatre to get more women involved all through theatre Lucy Kerbel and she put together a book called I think 100 Great Plays by Women so that every time people go but where are the apart from Carol Churchill where are the plays you're like here is a book please read it Uh you know yeah but yeah so it is it is a concern that yeah still we're focusing on plays written by men or certainly about men 
I mean, TV is pretty much the same. We've just done an interview with Georgia Pritchett, who writes for Succession and Veep. And she's had to go to America to find another woman in the writer's room. Over here, we're terrible. There's so much work that needs to be done because, you know, we are half the population. I don't know how many times I've said this on the podcast, but we are. And, you know, maybe one day that will be believed. I don't know. No. And also, like, it's an, I mean, it's a no-brainer. When Wonder Woman came out, it smashed all the other superhero films you know, at the box office that had come beforehand. Likewise, Captain Marvel. You're getting a clear message here. If you're just, like, focusing on the guys who like superhero films, fine. But you know what? If you have a female lead, obviously she's going to look hot. The the guys and the gals like it. It's a win-win. Like, if you just care about the dollars, you're going to make the dollars. You're going to make more dollars. Exactly. You might already know this, but I only found out yesterday. So, behind the curve... But one of the criticisms of Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman was that she wasn't very smiley and it, it made me want to punch my computer. I mean, it's amazing. I've got a friend who's a conductor and she had a really tough time on a job because they said that she was quite... So she appeared... She's the loveliest, friendliest, easiest person. But they said that she was quite um, unfriendly in the workplace, that she was just a bit cold. And... The thing is, is like male conductors in you know the world of classical music, which I know almost nothing about except via her and via the play I'm in at the moment. <laughs> they can have the most giant egos. They can turn up looking like a dog's dinner. They don't have to be friendly to anyone. They just conduct, and that's kind of and in fact, the more aloof and arrogant they are, the the more kudos they're given. But still, my friend is being told like the orchestra aren't finding you very friendly, and she's like. I am not their mother. I am not here to like smile and check they're all okay. I'm here to do my job. Like, why do I have to baby them and smile? And, you know, she's already like, I put makeup on. <laughs> <laughs> it's really depressing. It's. I think you'll find it's the difference between genius, male genius and hormonal. I mean, it's pr- pretty much yeah. all we've got, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's that's... tear your hair out stuff. You've touched on it there when you were talking about the telly, but there was a bit of worry when theatres did get to reopen that we would see those tried and tested plays to ensure bums on seats. But actually, it's not been as much the case as as the concerns were. And Back and Sons that you're in is a new play by a woman, Nina Rain. It is directed by Nicholas Heitner, but you know, fair it's enough. It's about a man and his two sons. And, and it's about a man and his two sons. We can't have it all. We can't, who's told you this lie? We can't have it all. But can you tell us a bit more about the play, please? Yeah, it looks at him in his sort of family dynamic and how his sort of obsession with order and obsession with seeing himself and his music, or well, himself as a kind of communicator with God and his music being specifically only there to communicate with God. He sort of pursues that. That is his life's obsession and life's work. And that he sort of pursues it to the detriment of those around him, really. It sort of drives his children and wives, spoiler alert, to despair because yeah, because he's pretty myopic about it. And I imagine it's quite hard being married to, to a genius. Yes. <laughs> I don't, you'd have to ask my partner. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so so it looks at that and it looks and it asks the questions. So the sons are kind of 
teenagers to begin with who are always like oh but dad can't it just sound nice can't music why can't music just sound good which is a great question Mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of debate around that and he says no it can't just sound good it has to mean something because otherwise it's onanistic you know it's you're just doing it for pleasure rather than to serve god the right upon bridge theatres uh website made me chuckle a little bit because it says that you know Johann Sebastian Bach had these incredibly high standards brackets he stabbed a bassoonist for not playing well and I'm like that's not high standards that's assault he also did it that is quite a good story he also did it because he hated this bassoonist they didn't get on so he wrote a piece of music that was impossible to play and gave it to the bassoonist and then the bassoonist couldn't play it and they had a fight and he stabbed him (laughs) wow Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't really know what to say about that, but classical music, what I know about classical music isn't from my friend who's a composer like you or being in a play. It's Jilly Cooper. But apparently like orchestras and conductors and stuff, maybe not your friend, but they are just like rock stars on, on tour. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and it's funny, like at my drama school, I went to Guildhall, which is also a music school. And so you sort of learn from day one, that 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 each section of the orchestra has a reputation, like in a band, like the drummer's always this, the bass player's always this. It's the same with orchestras, like uh, the brass section, they're the big drinkers. The brass um, section. <laughs> I mean, Jilly Cooper got it spot on then. In the SU bar, they would be the ones drinking the yards of ale. It would be always be the brass students. It's really funny. Like okay. to do with lung capacity. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, it's funny doing this play because I don't know anything. I didn't know anything about Bach beforehand. And Simon Russell Beale, who's our lead, and Nick Heitner, our director, and Nina, our playwright, all are, have encyclopedic knowledge on, on him and his life and contemporaries and all that. And the music really means a lot to them already before we, we came to the show. And in my head, I had to do quite a lot of gymnastics so every time they would like talk about this specific piece of oboe line on this or, or, or what the feelings were that he was trying to generate uh, for the listener in this, I was kind of doing maths in my head of like, so which Sonic Youth song is that like for me? <laughs> like, all, all of them, I was like, because, yeah, I'm like, which, so this song makes me cry. So it's like that. It's like, because uh, it was kind of a whole new world for me so I had to translate it into my my music <laughs> I just shouted at someone in a Sonic Youth t-shirt today I was quite excited to well, see you shouted someone. at someone in a nice way I was like I love your t-shirt they're my favorite band she was like okay stranger <laughs> So, like me, you are a woman in her 40s, Pandora, and that is traditionally the age we become invisible in society. What fun, what absolute fun, although some of it is fun. But unlike me, you're on the telly and on stage, and I feel like it is the perennial question, so apologies if this is a bit of a dull one. But are things changing for the better when it comes to decent roles for women over 35? No, I don't think so. I mean, (laughs) I don't think so. The way it's changing isn't to my liking. So I would say you can get something like Happy Valley, which, you know, is great. But they are still, it's still slim pickings. Yeah. You know, everyone went crazy for Mayor of Easttown, which I watched. And, and I thought this show was completely formulaic and totally 
predictable but I kept going but I know great to have all you know majority female leads how brilliant and that all shapes and sizes and great but at the same time I was just like I didn't wasn't really believing my own like I was like oh god do I have to be grateful for a really average show because there are loads of women in it like do I have to say it's brilliant because actually I had a load of problems with it like the first episode well I don't want to spoil it for anyone but there's like some really gratuitous nudity yes we've talked about it on the podcast I don't need to see any more naked dead teenage girls I just couldn't believe it and I was like are you fucking kidding me and then the fact that when we find out what happens I won't say it was totally predictable um when we find out what happens like there is literally no reason that she was naked in a river like no reason and the other kid who had to get her boobs out the other teenager it was like that was totally gratuitous so don't give me Kate Winslet with no makeup on Mm -hmm. (laughs) with one hand and teenagers with their boobs out on the other and say please be grateful but that is what I think we're being served up is like the odd thing with some female leads that we're meant to be grateful for but it's very much made on other people's terms and they are too far and few between yeah um, I would say Happy Valley kicks Mayor of East Town's ass we have said this before like Sarah Lancashire Sally Wainwright Siobhan Finnehan they're all I can never say her name right Finnerin Finnerin they are amazing so like for me mayor of east town i was like i've sort of seen all this before so what we're allowed one we're allowed one new woman and it's it's her that's it yeah that's it exactly and then for her you'll get another police procedure with martin clunes john sims uh you know who else is there's another one that's just come out like the maverick detective he's a fish out of water (laughs) he's from the city he's in the countryside this one's from the countryside, but he's gone to the big smoke. This one used to drink, but now he doesn't. This one <laughs> has a broken heart. He is troubled by his ex-wife leaving him. But it's like, are you kidding me? Like another white middle-aged man playing another detective. This guy has played six detectives already, and it, now he's playing another one. Like, are you driving me mad? It's, it's insane. I auditioned for one just before the pandemic, uh, another one of these maverick detective things with just classic just classic bog standard it was the fish out of water he's moved town he's divorced he's broken hearted he's enigmatic what's his story and he goes on some dates and it was the role of a date it was a really horrible part it was so written in such a mean way like she was kind of a hippie kind of character and it was just written like she was a kind of desperate, you know, she's into crystals and a sort of desperate, mad, middle-aged, single woman. And, you know, I needed a job. I really felt bad about going for the audition. And I went for it and I asked the, it was three days before the first lockdown. And they were like, you're the only person that's turned up. <laughs> and I was like, I live nearby, I need a job. <laughs> and I said, are we laughing at this character? And they were like, God, no, no, we're not laughing at her, no. And I was like, oh, okay. So you want me to play it straight? And they were like, yeah, yeah, play it straight. Of course, yeah, of course. So I played her dead straight and they were like, ah, okay, yeah, it doesn't really work, does it? Maybe we maybe we have to laugh at her a little bit. And I was like, yeah, so there are these decisions. You know, the writer did it subconsciously perhaps, but he was laughing at a single woman mm-hmm. while giving this interesting guy. I'm like, he's not interesting. I've seen him in a million TV shows. 
Let's talk about some really good telly that you were in that was superb. I mean, it was still quite wank heavy, but it was a historical drama. So, you know, I am, of course, talking about 2019's Chernobyl, which remains some of the best TV I have ever seen. And you played Dotsa Vitrova. What a thing to be part of. Yeah, and amazingly, actually, Dougie, who plays my son in Bark and Sons, was also in it. So we, we were like, hey, in the cool gang. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. It was, yeah. I mean, I did on my first day get the call sheet and I counted. And there were, I think, 90 men and 11 women. Um, <laughs> nonetheless. And they had to invent the Emily Watson character. She was an amalgamation of a bunch of different scientists because even, you know, they were aware of the fact that they really did need a lady in uh-huh. the lead, so Ailey in one of the leads. So, but it was amazing. It was, uh, yeah, I feel very, very lucky to have been in that that job. Well, you're awesome in it. Oh, thanks very much. But the director Johan Renk, who directed it, is just an absolutely extraordinary guy. Just got just incredible energy, and in between takes, he'd go and play Joy Division really, really loudly. Um, to keep keep himself in the zone which I particularly appreciate that does sound like the perfect Um, soundtrack to the misery of Chernobyl and I kept really obviously I didn't but I kept right at the front of my mind so much of it was like he you know he directed all those last David Bowie videos all the and he became they became very very close and I think uh, Adam Buxton interviewed Johan on his podcast a long long time way before Chernobyl and I remember sort of really enjoying it and so then when I kind of met him for the audition I was quite like it's you from the last David Bowie videos and he was really moving when he spoke about it but I didn't say anything. Totes professional, totes professional. Yeah. Did it feel big when you were filming and when you got the script were you like this is this is important? Um, It felt like when I read the script I thought it read like a horror script it really read like like proper horror genre as well as thriller, but but that really struck me. I did think I don't know how anyone's going to be able to watch this. Like I thought it was incredible, but I thought, God, I don't know if people are going to be able to watch it because it's so horrifying. And then as we were making it, I mean, I was only on it for ten days, but yeah, the prosthetics were so extraordinary because usually with prosthetics, when you're on set and you see someone with all the grossness on. It looks like prosthetics up close, you know, and then it on camera, it looks amazing. But with this, I turned up, I think, on my first day on set, and a friend of mine played one of the guys in the reactor who, who has the sort of most major transformation, the, the biggest look. He was in prosthetics for six hours. And he was like, hey, Pandora, and he turned up, like, head to toe in burns. And I was like, fuck, I can't, I can't actually look at you. You That is, oh, I mean, it was... And it was his final look, Robert M's. And it was just so, everybody was working at such a high level, all the departments, the art department, the set, you know, loads of the costumes were real, were from like the Chernobyl Museum or whatever. Like it was like they were the actuals that that people had worn in the hospitals and stuff. So I, I thought it was going to be really good. I didn't I didn't think, oh, it would be a shame. This might be a bit crappy. I thought it was going to be amazing. But I did always wonder if anyone would have the stomach or the nerve to watch it because it is, you have to feel robust to, to do it. It's one of those dramas that 
are so extraordinary because you know the ending. You go in for most of us, certainly of of our generation, knowing how this story yeah. ends. And yet, I learned so much about it. I also don't know what it says about me, but I was more sad about the dogs and the humans. But well, that episode. No, that episode I, it was really hard to read. And I said to a bunch of people, including, I think, our mutual friend, I don't think you should watch this episode. Like, plot-wise, you won't miss that much. And it's actually... And it's I know people are like, what are you talking about? They were just dogs. The rest of it's like thousands of humans. And like, I know, but it's a really tough... That is a really tough episode. Yeah, it's yeah, so hard. If you like Pandora, what are you working on slash in after Back and Sons finishes its run on September the 11th? Well, I don't have any gainful employment taking place after that, but I am working on trying to develop a play about female pirates, which I've yes, been working please. on for a couple of years. Which is the reaction that, that that usually gets. The best pirate ever was a woman. Well, who's your best pirate ever? Oh, I can't remember a name. You put me on the spot now. Roughly, can you remember what kind of story she um, has? It's not a test. I feel like I'm in that recurring nightmare where I'm back <laughs> at school and I haven't learned my, my studies. I'm going to guess that it's either Anne Bonny or Grace O'Malley that you're thinking. It was Grace O'Malley, yes. But better still than Grace O'Malley, who I do love because... My favourite thing about Grace O'Malley is that when she was a kid, she fought an eagle that was trying to attack her father's sheep. And it We've all done it. almost <laughs> took out an eye. And so for all the kind of appalling depictions of Grace O'Malley, which obviously has like red flaming hair and really pretty, she had a huge scar from this eagle claw that she sustained as a small child. But the most, the most successful pirate of all time was a Chinese woman called Cheng Yi Sao, who, like, was a gazillion times more successful at pirating than any male pirate you have ever heard of. Forget Blackbeard, forget Rackham. There's, like, nobody comes close to her, but nobody has ever heard of her because guys tell the history, guys make the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. My partner is currently in a pirate show. He's away filming a pirate show. There are no women in it. There are no women creatives on it except in hair and makeup and um it's so this is this is my mission that i'm currently undertaking is to tell the story of a number of female pirates now pandora so my fella has become not a feminist i don't think men can be feminists i know that's contentious but definitely a feminist ally and he now will have conversations about stuff and he now notices things and i have absolutely ruined film and television for him yeah. forever you're doing the same right you're oh, sending yeah. your, yours away with this, like, where are the female pirates? Oh, yeah, totally. I was like, where where are they? And he's like, oh. and he asked the creator, and he's like, mm, I know, maybe season two. It's bad, isn't it? He went, oh, I know, it's bad, isn't it? Yeah, it's bad. It should be illegal, is what it should be. <laughs> I'm laughing, but I agree. I agree with you. <laughs> so I'm doing that, and I'm working on also developing a show about drag kings, Victorian drag king. A specific Victorian drag king and how she connects to drag kings now and we're on a hiatus but I will be back soon doing the podcast that I do with my friend Alan called Jam On It which is a cookery book podcast a food and music right? Food and music yeah exactly sounds lovely tell me a little bit more about where people can find that that is a really good question uh, uh, Jam On It is on SoundCloud and also if you go to um 
Mm. Let me just double check the link because we now have a website, but it's sort of connected to um, Alan's website. So I do it with my friend Alan Connor, who is who used to be also a friend of our mutual friend, and he used to be a TV presenter, and um, he uh, is a comedy writer and crossword setter and writer of books about quizzes. So it's on his website. The website is alanconnor, C-O-N-N-O-R.com forward slash jam on it. I think that's Amazing. Right. I've got to say, our mutual friend is the very lovely Liz Buckley. Yeah. You're making us sound mysterious, which I like, but also like it might be Boris Johnson, which I do no, not like. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly. Our mutual friend, Liz, who's been on Standard Issue many times. Indeed. She's coming on soon to talk to me about Billie Holiday, which I'm very much looking forward to. Very good. Very good. Some music chats. But in the meantime, if you want music chat and cookery chat, then absolutely have a listen to Jam On It. Jam On It. Exactly. We, it's a cook along, but you don't have to cook along. But if you go to the website, the ingredients are there and it's themed. Every episode has a theme, not according to cuisine, but more just sort of something that we make up to kind of be able to talk about songs that complement the menu vibe you're cooking according to vibes that is exactly i'm going to use that i was trying to i was pitching it to our favorite uh, radio station wfmu out in new jersey the other day and i that's what i it's it is exactly themed according to vibe so surfs up the great outdoors etc and then we make food and uh talk about complimentary music accordingly and Pandora, are you on the Twitter, the socials? Where can people find out more about you? I am not on the Twitter. It scares the living shit out of me. And rightly so. I can't really spell and I'm worried that I'll, I, and I can't handle, I don't want to get in fights with people. And um, I, ha, I mean, I, I once went on Twitter to try and get Bath Council to pick up my mum's bins and it worked. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. Take that win and run. That was the right idea. Yeah, exactly. But there is a Jam On It Instagram account, Jam On It podcast. So that would be the one. Thank you so much for chatting to me. It's been an utter joy. Well, thanks very much. It's been a great pleasure. Standard Issue for All Women.